Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Georgia. With me is Greg Velasquez in Iowa. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Hello, we're kicking off a new feature here, a weekly review of the club games played by U.S. men's national team players. I'm joined, as usual, by Jordan Body, moderator of the Scuff Discord, and now Waki is with us, too. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Adam. Hi, Adam. Hey, guys. Uh, at least for a while, instead of office hours, Waki, you're going to do a weekly review of Yanks Abroad and in MLS with us, kind of a pivot away from whimsy and towards substance. Is that fair to say? That's correct. I mean, there could be some stray whimsy every now and then, but pr- primarily substance. November is a month of substance at Scuff Global Headquarters. Let it be known. Our point of reference for the weekly review is the Scuffed Discord Top 40, a ranking of the players in the U.S. pool conducted in a Google spreadsheet on the Scuffed Discord, of course. The most recent rankings closed on Friday, so they're fresh, and we had 37 participants. Putting it's closed now, but the link to the sheet is in the show notes. The criteria for the rankings, which is kind of confusing to people, is deliberately vague, but I think most people think of it as who is most valuable to the USA in a must-win game tomorrow. Players are then ranked from 1 to 100, and all the scores are averaged to give us the top 40 players in the player pool. So this episode serves as both a highly debatable ranking of the player pool and an update on the activities of the player pool. Christian Pulisic has been the top-ranked player for most of the last three years, but Tyler Adams has surpassed him this year in the minds of scuffed listeners. So he's our number one player for the second straight month. Tyler Adams, what's he been up to, Jordan? Um, midweek, he played 90 minutes in a 1-0 win in the DFB Pokal on Tuesday against Babelsberg in the Regional Liga. He was an unused sub in a 1-1 draw against Frankfurt. Yeah, so in the midweek, one big thing you notice is just how drastically better he is than German fourth division players. I think that was the main thing. But he got, he got to do a bunch of those skip by you dribbles he does where he keeps it kind of close into his feet. And then later he did a bunch of big diagonals, which was nice to see. And then Saturday, I mean, it wasn't heartbreaking, he wasn't in, but it's you know probably not the way we would have chosen to start the weekend if we're being honest. Him, you know, them them dropping points against Frankfurt. Him not playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they gave up a 94th minute goal to drop those points, which makes me nervous again about Jesse Marsh. I guess we're all kind of nervous. But anyway, it, it doesn't really matter. What Adams does for Leipzig, to me, is the most indispensable U.S. player. We have a lot of lawyers in the Discord who use the word fungible. Increasingly, they're using the word fungible. <laughs> Which means like replaceable. He's not. He is not fungible. Very non-fungible. Easily our, our least fungible player, I would say. I think so. Number two, Christian Pulisic. Gordon. Uh, he's still out with an injury. Missed both their midweek game and their weekend game. Although the news is that he's going to be in the squad against Malmo this week. Yeah, supposedly going to get a lot of minutes against Malmo. Because a bunch of other people are hurt. Oh, I very badly want him to be fit in form against Mexico. Probably won't be in form, but then, you know, if you go back to the fungibility concept, he's relatively fungible. Which is strange because he's one of our better players, but I guess that's just one of the nuances of soccer, isn't it? Why is he so fungible? Because we have Brendan Aronson and Timmy Weah and Giovanni Reyna and 
Okay. No, even Conrad De La Fuente. We should move into a player who played. Number three, Serginio Dest. What's he up to? He played 90 minutes in a 1-0 loss on Wednesday against Rayo Falcano, and he went 90 in a 1-1 draw on Saturday against Alaves. And this is, he's continuing to be played at winger, which uh, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on, but he was basically fine against Alaves. He did a few nice things, but otherwise he was, I would say he was just confident. His crossing was a little bit better. Uh, and then I guess one other issue on the Alves goal, he was one of, he was the first one of, I think, four players from Barcelona that got dribbled by to give up that weird goal. Um, but generally, I would say he should probably play fullback. He was the first domino to fall in that. that it was a beautiful sequence, really. That, that sort of two-touch Cruyff through ball from the other, from the target striker, the goal scorer. Yeah. It was pretty nice. So um, it probably wasn't really his fault. And then just on the, the winger front, I, th- I think he's just not quite as practiced as making those runs into and about the box. And then he has a thing where he's missed the wide open goals, which doesn't help his case. But I think the Rio one was more difficult than it looked. And he may have even tried to no look, no look it. He kind of looked away. It's hard to say for sure. I haven't, I, I don't know that we have a clear consensus on whether people think he did that or not. Uh, I think it's just going to be one of those things we debate for a long time. Talking about the goal, the shot he missed against Ryo by, yeah. by a comment. Yes. Yeah. I didn't notice that he tried to no-look it. I guess I guess I just I just feel like watching him at winger makes me appreciate his role with the U.S. even more uh, as a playmaking fullback. He's just perfectly suited to do that. And... Yeah, I'm not sure he, like, to your point, I'm not sure he has enough cutting edge in the final 12 yards to be a winger. Barcelona, even a sort of weakened Barcelona. One thing I'd add on the um, winger front, he didn't do any Rabonas or any other elaborate tricks, so it could be he's not quite confident there. So just that reason alone would be another reason to have him at fullback. Because we do want to see him do that stuff every now and then. Yeah, we need like a, a at least a one Rabona every three three matches. Yeah. R- Rabona, Rabana, potato, potato. Yeah, P- people pronounce it a lot of different ways. However, you want to say it's correct is kind of the feedback I've heard. <laughs> Number four, Giovanni Reina. He's still out with injury. Missed both their midweek game in the Pokal against Ingolstadt and their weekend game against Köln. Going on, going on walkabouts at Austin FC's stadium. His dad, kind of sad, yeah. sad for me to see that. Jordan, I've had just about enough of this injury, so if we could get him back. Number five, Weston McKenney. 90 minutes and a 2-1 loss on Wednesday against Sassuolo, and, 58, and he was a 58th-minute sub in a 2-1 loss on Saturday against Hellas Verona, and he scored UA's only goal in both losses. Okay, so uh, the way I see the goals was kind of a gravy situation. And then the rest of the games against Sassuola, he did have a couple sloppy giveaways. But then he won the ball high up a few times, so I kind of saw those as canceling out. And then he just kind of did his normal run of play thing where he's kind of lean drifting from central to high into the right, kind of going into that space. And then the one other thing in that game, it was tied at the very end. And then Sassuola scored... For whatever reason, Wes McKinney was the last defender. I guess they were pushing up to try to win the game. 
and the ball got kicked over his head. It seemed more like a team failure to me, but I wasn't exactly sure how to, how to judge that situation. But I, another key is after the game, Allegri said that he no longer wants to get rid of Weston, which is, I think, which is fantastic. Because before it was like, you had to kind of like, maybe they don't even want him there and then I'm feeling sad, but this kind of, kind of lifts that weight off. It's not about me, but you know. It's a little bit about you, about all of us. I would. I just think for even for Juve, he's sloppy, you know, as he is for the U.S. I noticed like a way too casual giveaway trying to lead Dybala into a lung busting run up the right wing. I'm talking about in the in the game against Hellas Verona. Mm. Just got to know your friends a little better than that, I think, Wes. But but, and he makes stuff happen, and it seems like he's getting more comfortable in the final final third all the time. When it comes to fungibility, I think there's a strong argument that he is the second least fungible there in the player pool if you look at how we played against panama without him how we played against canada without him how we played against honduras in that first half without him yeah it would it would be difficult to imagine playing mexico without him that would be very difficult good shot too i mean both finishes were that that he as i think vin Visso on the discord said he baptized his his man marker and that um that first goal against Hellas Verona, sorry, the one against Sassuolo when he headed it in on a set piece, and then and then he hit like a kind of a banger just inside, received the ball in a little tiny pocket of space, top of the box, and took two tidy little touches, and then just banged it past the goalkeeper, caromed it off the bottom of the crossbar. Um, good shot. So. Yeah, and reportedly, before Weston went on, Allegri said, I'm fascinated by what coaches their relationship with Weston. He said, he said to him, you are a Mazala. You're to score a goal right before he came on. And then Weston went and did that. I kind of looked up what Mazala is. It means half winger. It's a little bit confusing beyond that. But I think the important thing is the goal part. He did what he was asked. For six, Yunus Musa. He was a 60th minute sub in a 4-1 loss on Wednesday against Real Batiste. And he was an unused sub in a 2-1 win on Saturday at home to Villarreal. So when the game he played the midweek, I, I felt he had an above-average number of promising moments for, for his club team. He normally, it's normally not that exciting. And they tended to involve these like medium to long, fast dribbles. And he'd often go past them on his own. But he also had a little uh, short combination of stuff with teammates. And he did two neat layoffs. And, he, he, I, and then he dribbled in straight into someone in the box. But I, overall, I felt positive about it. Yeah. I didn't watch the, I didn't watch the game against Real Batiste. But I feel like Moose is a little like Adams and, I guess, McKenney. So valuable to the U.S. right now that it doesn't really matter what happens week by week in Valencia. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter that yeah. much. And he, he's kind of playing out on the right there, too. So it's a little weird. But yeah, I don't. I don't think no. it matters that much. Number seven, Matt Turner. He went the full ninety in a one-nil win on Wednesday at home against Colorado. Okay, so the, in this game, he had this one very impressive-looking save. It's one of those kind of bending shots that come across the keeper's body. So he's like he's diving over and he paws at it with his top hand. And I think I, I checked with some goalkeepers. They they say it's one of those. Once that's not actually that hard, but it looks really cool and it's very satisfying to do. 
And then he had these two other saves that were probably more technically sound, where it's kicked at him really hard and low, kind of at or near his body, and he, he saved those two. And then he didn't really do any playing out of the back because they don't do that. And he can't really do that either, if we're honest. He's not able to do that, no. Number eight, Anthony Robinson. 90 minutes and a 3-1 win on Saturday at home against West Brom. So in terms of watching Anthony Robinson, he's, he's gotten to the point he's good consistently enough that his games all pretty much seem the same now to me. Like he'll take space quickly on the left and then connect it to an attacking player by kicking it in. And then the only other thing that occurred to me, it was very sunny at the beginning of the game. In the second half, it was cloudy. But that's my main recollection. We have a little bit of information on the Mazala from Patrick Delaney. I think it's a, sounds like a half space merchant a little bit. Central half winger. I guess you said there's, that already. Yeah, there's a TIFO video about it that I started to watch. It just started to get very tacticky. But basically, it used to be there used to be a WM. You know that formation, that old school one? It was the two behind the front three. So it's the midfielder that pushes forward, and it's not the holding midfielder. Basically, it's just a description of Weston McKinney. It's just a word uniquely for him. Yes. Back to Robinson, I just, uh, just love him. feel bad for all the times I accused him of having chaotic energy. I'm not going to write a song about it, though. Number nine, Miles Robinson. Went 90 in a 2-1 win on Wednesday against Inter-Miami and played the full game in a 1-1 draw on Saturday against Toronto. So this is kind of similar situ- situation with Anthony. This is kind of a Miles situ- or a Robinson situation uh, where a lot of his games, just they all seem the same now. And I, you watch it like you don't necessarily need to be watching it. Cause especially because watching center backs is boring, if we're being completely honest. But he did have one dribbling foray that was pretty exciting. I think that was on the weekend. Um, but then he lost it, didn't quite get the final ball right. It would have been really cool if he had done that. Uh, and then in the midweek, he did a big recovery run on Higuain. That was kind of reminiscent of what he did to Brian Ruiz. But those are the only notes I have on him. Higuain, the one who smokes cigarettes. Right. Uh, old, the older brother or the younger brother? The older, the uh, the younger brother, yes. Okay. The older brother just retired, which and he was he is. They're both good players, obviously, but I have a bit of a soft spot for Federico. Number ten, yeah. Rico, Ricardo. Go ahead, Waki. No, let's do Ricardo. Okay, number ten, Ricardo Pepe. He subbed on in the eighty-second minute in a two-one loss on Wednesday against Real Salt Lake and played 89 minutes against Austin in a 2-1 win on Saturday. Yeah, I thought I I thought he did not look great against Austin even though Dallas did win the Tejas Copa, the Copa Tejas. Um I I, I don't know that he's been sharp since the international break and I guess that that we could be chalked up to his his foot injury. He had to get stitches cuz he got a cut on his foot. Maybe his mind is elsewhere now uh, since Dallas's season is completely lost and he's almost certainly headed to Europe this winter. But he wasn't like even basic, like receiving the ball, taking clean touches was not um, not going well for him on Saturday. Yeah, most of the, yeah, he was flat. Most of the runs he made, there were kind of these slow, 
runs directed toward just the penalty spot looking for a cutback. And I don't know, maybe, the, I don't know if that's the right thing to do or not, but it just never connected. And then his runs in behind, he didn't ever get one connect on those either. He did play for Aaron once on goal from midfield. That was kind of probably the best thing. Do you think he's too high in, the, in these rankings? He's 10, that seems. Maybe a little too high, yeah. But, you know, you score, score two game winners and three starts. As an 18-year-old striker, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna benefit in the rankings. The striker rankings, are, they're, they're always going to be pretty volatile, aren't they? Because once you score, you do, you do jump into that top 10. Right. We don't care. We don't care how noisy goals are. Goals no, are goals. Not at all. Number 11, John Brooks. Went the full 90 and a 2-0 win on Saturday against Leverkusen. Um, he, did, he did some good scuffle work after a teammate took a cheap shot at a Leverkusen player. Kind of, he did, kind of did the arrive late thing. It was some light hand-to-hand stuff and then just some um, remaining calm and, and talking shit, which was good. Um, but I think the main takeaway from the game is Florian Kohlfeld is coach of, the Wolf, of Wolfsburg now. And listeners probably remember her from Werder Bremen. So I think we're just going to be watching him probably for the rest of our lives. He could even one day manage the national team. I don't know why. I think that's just kind of a feeling I have. It feels possible, doesn't it? I have, I have this lingering sense that Kofelt brought you know, a whiff of the future when he came to Bremen, similar to Domenico Tedesco at Schalke. You know, they both were kind of thought of as bright young talents in the coaching ranks. But boy, the future got grimmer as time went on for both of them. I'm still interested to see how Kofeld does and glad to see him get a big win away against the club in the top four. I mean, this was a big win for Wolfsburg. They're quietly just two points off of fourth place now. So things are going okay there, even though they've flailed about in Champions League. And I thought Brooks looked okay. I did notice in the 21st minute on a counterattack that after he had sort of rambled forward with the ball... He just let Alario beat him to the back post. You know, he's sort of trying to keep up, but he doesn't, he knows that he can't keep up. So if Alario gets the square pass, that was in the 21st minute, it's a tap in. So I feel like it's a little lucky, but it was all hunky dory between him and the goalkeeper after that, which is kissing me that they're all kind of aware he's not going to be able to keep up with anyone over 50 yards and they're just okay with it. I'm not sure I'm okay with it, a World Cup qualifier, but maybe I am. He is very good on the ball and in the air. Although I think I'm confident in the moments that it does happen, we will not feel okay with it. I do always look to that relationship between the defender and the goalkeeper after something happens to kind of judge what to, what to think about it. But any situation where Brooks gets high upfield, there's probably not going to be a full recovery. No. Yeah, I was struck by how happy the goalkeeper was to, you know, tap him on the back of the head and we're all like, yeah, that, that was all, everybody did well. Everybody did well there. <laughs> good, good stuff, everyone. Um, number 12, Brendan Aronson. He was a 62nd minute sub in a 3-0 win in the OFB Cup against uh, Ulianez's St. Poulton. Uh, and then on the weekend, he went 90 and a 2-2 draw on Saturday against Reed. And he assisted in both of those games. He also yes. had an assist right at the beginning of, of Reed. And I wasn't sure how to pronounce Reed. 
so I've been saying it reading my head too. I was concerned it might be Ryad. I so didn't I either. I just went with it. I did look up the where that word comes from. It's Middle German for a swamp grass, which is a reed. They called it a reed. So we'll call it a reed. In any case, he did a bunch of really good passes in this game, and he's kind of their creative leader. And then I think my favorite part of the game was he, he got it in the box and he turned to take a shot, which I kind of like the selfishness of it. And, but he had two teammates really upset about him, but he wasn't too bothered by it because he's so confident. And one teammate actually got on the, their knee and, and punched the ground. So that was a highlight for me, that kind of dramatic moment. But it was like, man, he's been doing all these great passes all game. Like, relax, man. He just wants to shoot once. Just, like, be more reasonable here. But that punch in the ground was a great moment. Was it Christensen, the right wing back? The right back, right wing back? No. Oh, well, the, one of them, I think he was one of the upset players. He was not the one who punched the ground. I don't know the name of the player who punched the ground, unfortunately. I've seen that guy, uh, toe-headed back, get very, very mad when he doesn't get the ball after a long run. Get, not, yeah. not necessarily Aronson, but others on the team. Yeah. I think he just did the arms down, like, why did you not lay the ball off to me? It was the other guy who, you know, he really got down there and smacked that ground. But that wasn't really the whole point of the game. Aronson, he was, he was good. It's tough to know how, if it's not a Champions League game, it's kind of, he, he seems to be kind of above the level of the Austrian League at this point. But I also don't hear about him moving or anything. So. Mm. Let's go to the next one. 13, Timothy Weah. He was a 79th minute sub on Friday in a 2-1 loss at the Parc de Prince against PSG. Yeah, I thought, again, he was bright and incisive in combination in his limited minutes. I, I noticed like something I've been noticing for a while. Not only is his off-ball movement effective, but the lines of it are uh, nice and curving and circular. You know, Very pleasant mm. to look at. It's almost like he's on the end of a stencil or on the end of a pen writing in beautiful cursive letters. Yeah. I've always, I've never, that, that's the best way I've ever heard it put. But I have always thought of him as our most relaxing winger to watch. Because like a lot of times with wingers, their movement can get all fidgety and, and, and jagged, which is probably good. But I just, it's not as, just from a purely aesthetic perspective, it's not as satisfying to watch. It's kind of a little bit stressful sometimes. I mean, Wei is un- pretty unique in this way, I, th- I feel like. You don't see a lot of people. Yeah. I think he is unique. There are some parts of the smoothness that Reyna might have, but I wouldn't call Reyna's not moving in cursive. It's more just like a, a smoothness. I mean, the distinctions, that we could get more into those at some point, but... I, yeah, I do think Wei stands apart. Okay. 14, Chris Richards. He went 90 in a 5-1 win in the DFB Pokal on Tuesday against Holstein Kiel in the second Bundesliga. And then on the weekend, he was an 85th-minute sub in a 2-0 win against Hertha. So he, and he played, he was playing left center back um, both when he came on and then he also did that in the week, which the one thing that I noticed watching, it's just 
a far different position than a normal center back than I had originally imagined. It, there's like this high frequency of following an attacker up into the midfield. A couple of times he's having to even man mark a guy all the way across the right side of the field. And if anything, it seems it's like it's more work than if there's just two center backs, which seems counterintuitive for me. Um, but I, he he did seem to be he probably had a below average game in the midweek. And maybe that's not why he didn't start Friday. It was just so soon after Tuesday, but that was kind of my read on that game. It is interesting that the that a three man center back setup does requ- in some ways require requires a lot more of those outside center backs. That's that could explain because wasn't Brooks in a three man back line? Yes. Uh, yeah. So that could explain maybe a little bit of his struggles in the moment I highlighted because he's, he's working his way all the way up near the other team's box and then can't get back. But yeah, I agree. Uh, Richards was not, not look great in the middle of the week. He was involved in several messy moments. Like, there were a lot more chances for that um, Pokal opponent, Holsten Kiel, than probably the Hoffenheim coach would have liked. Yeah, he, just, he did not have a good game. Really? That's okay. That's okay. He's young. It happens. 15, Zach Steffen. He played the full game in a penalty loss in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday against West Ham. And then he was on the bench uh, in a 2-0 loss against Crystal Palace on Saturday. So I think the highlight is he very calmly received a couple passes to his feet under reasonable reasonably serious pressure where he's basically just standing exactly on his goal line and then he plays just a neat little pass out which was kind of impressive and then I think beyond his play the larger issue for the game for me was it went to penalties and but the way that it was shot by the TV people they would be using just these player close-ups for no wide shot at all then cut straight to we are seeing the penalty from behind the goal for just a few seconds right before it happens, and then they cut straight away to more close-ups until the next penalty. It was incredibly disorienting. So that was, for me, that was that was the big issue from that game. But Stefan was very impressive with his feet. It is a, that is an advantage he has over Turner, as we all know. 16, Walker Zimmerman. Uh, Wednesday, uh, away to Cincinnati, he played 90 in a 6-3 th- win scored their first goal and assisted on their third. And on the weekend, he went 90 in a 1-1 draw away to Orlando. So his goals and assists were both headers. So it was good set-piece stuff. Um, Beyond that, I don't know, because I kind of... I'm not going to watch Cincinnati play. I just kind of have to draw the line there. I I don't know exactly how he did in these games. His set-piece threat is something we got to in mind. 17, Joe Scally, Joseph Scally. He went uh, 69 minutes in a 5-0 win in the DFB Pokal in their big win against Bayern Munich. And then on the weekend, he went 90 in a 2-1 win against Bochum on Sunday. I think the main thing, first of all, he's, he was pretty good. And he had an assist, obviously. Um, the other thing, he's, I think he's showing pretty impressive signs of developing into a high-level I want to say maybe goon style dark artist is strong, but that's kind of the general type. He did a great thing where he puts his head down into a place where opponent was kicking up and there's no contact, but he goes down like he got kicked in the head. And then he did some kind of surreptitious knee bumping into folks later and did some more dives. So that's the one thing I'm tracking that 
that I wanted to point out here. He's surprisingly savvy. Yeah, he has the soul of a 25-year-old or so. Yeah. Looks like he has an office job somewhere. 18, Gianluca Busio. He went 90 in both their 2-1 loss on Tuesday against Salernitana and in their 0-0 draw on Sunday against... He's good with the ball, I thought. Um, especially, I mean, in the, the game over the weekend. Uh, seems to be a theme with his play lately. A little lacking in focus when it comes to defending and controlling space. People are going to just say I'm just sort of doubling down on my you know, whatever I, whatever I do, but it does seem like a little bit of a problem. It's a similar thing with Luca Della Torre. They just not, they don't have that like instinctive desire to shut things down that, that Tyler Adams seems to have, but man, he's Busio's Busio's fun to fun to watch with the ball and Venezia is fun to watch. I think my sleeper pick for most fun Yanks abroad team to watch right now, even though they're not that good. Yeah. Yeah, one thing Busio did do, he did put in a, a few nice little tackles. But yeah, the controlling space is probably the area where he needs to improve. And then the other thing from the Genoa game is there was a flock of birds that was on the game, on the field a lot, that kept getting involved in the action. And I kind of started really tracking that. Um, so if you, if you they, would, they were involved in like three, three consecutive transitions because the ball would come down one side and they'd be there. So they have to get up and leave and go to the other side. Now the ball's going the other direction. So they get up and leave and go the other one. It was, it was a great moment. It was kind of in the beginning part of the second half if anyone wants to check that out. And there was a, to a certain extent, I, it probably affected my viewing of the second half of the general game because I was mainly focused on the birds. I don't notice that kind of stuff as well as you do. Um, I would I would highly recommend people check it out. It was probably the best bird moment we've had all year. It was seagulls from the Gulf of Genoa. Yeah, they're just a mile. The stadium's a mile away from the Gulf of Genoa. It was that stadium, by the way, it was built in 1911. Number 19, Kellen Acosta. He was not in their not in the squad for either of their either of their games on Wednesday or Sunday. Uh, someone in the Discord said he's out with injury, but I couldn't find any word on what that injury is or how long it's going to keep him out for. Am I to understand we don't currently have a backup six? Yeah, I guess so. If, if he is, in fact, out with injury. We still haven't given James Sands a chance as a six in a regular 4-3-3. He hasn't looked great, but maybe, maybe he can fit in that very narrow way in that role. I don't know. I'm, I'm not confident at all we're going to see that. but It'll be fine. Most likely, it'll be fine, yeah. For 20, Luca Della Torre. On Tuesday, Heracles played ASWH, a Tweedy division team, and Della Torre went 90 in a 3-1 win in the uh, KNVB Cup. And then on the weekend, he went 90 in a nil-nil draw against Ajax. Watched a fair amount of this game, and I, I, it was fun to watch. So it's right up there with Venezia, Heracles Almelo. Um, and I just love the way Luca turns and plays the ball forward when he gets a chance to. I think he's got a little, like I said, a little bit of Busio's defensive lack of interest. It's not as acute of a case as Busio's. And long story short, I just want to see more of both of them for the national team, even though they probably can't be Tyler Adams' replacement. 
given his non-fungibility. Yeah, it's an unreasonably high standard to hold people to. Yeah, I guess he's just also sort of not that type of player. He's a, he's a passing player. He's a nice passing player. Mm. His defensive cover shadow is a, it's a, a, bit, a bit narrow. You know that thing where it's like the area they cut off behind them? It seems like there's a little bit more space you can pass to if you're passing by Luca De La Torre. But I don't know why. I don't need to criticize him. He, I thought he, was, he, he had a good game. Heracles could have won that game. It was uh, gone either way against a Ajax team that beat Dorman 4 0 not too long ago. 21, Conrad De La Fuente. He was an unused sub in their 1 1 draw on Wednesday away to Nice, which was the uh, replay from that game that got stopped because fans stormed the field. And then on the weekend, he played 57 minutes in their 1-0 draw, or 1-0 win against Claremont Foot. I didn't think he was terribly involved versus Claremont Foot, but got a good chance on a ball in behind. Not quite 1v1 with the keeper, but had, close. Had a guy bearing down on his left shoulder and kind of scuffed his shot. Might have been deflected, and it was a pretty easy save. Yeah, I don't have anything to add on, the, on, on that. I do want to look, I'm going to look up what Claremont Foot means, where that name comes from. But I can do that offline. 2022 Jazzy Zardis. He is still out with injury, missed both their games on Wednesday and Saturday. Okay, yeah, he's likely to be out for the coming window too, I believe. 23, Mark McKenzie. He played 90 in a 6-0 win in, a, in the Belgian Cup against a third-tier team on Wednesday, and then was an unused sub in a 6-2 to two win against Solte Vericum. I salute you for not trying to pronounce that team that they beat 6-0 in the Cup. Jordan wouldn't try to do it either. 24, Jordan, Jordan Pifak. He was an unused sub in a 2-1 two, loss in the Swiss Cup against Lugano, and then went 90 in a 3-1 loss on Saturday against St. Gallen. 25, Josh Sargent. He went 77 minutes in a 2-1 loss on Sunday against Leeds. Um, I should say I, I, I didn't watch any of the, the rest of the players. You have to, you know, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of players in this top 40, you know? Yeah, Norwich is bad. They might break uh, Derby County's record of fewest points in a Premier League season, which... Coincidentally, that 2007-08 squad also had a young American on it in Benny Failhaber. Oh. So maybe the arc of history bends towards sporting Kansas City sergeant as well. It may. Although, I guess the talk is he, he, there's going to be a St. Louis team. Hopefully he doesn't end up there. It's going to be all right. He's going to turn it on. Mm. He, he's yeah. not going to turn it on. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying words. <laughs> There's no chance he's going to turn it on. He's washed. Well, no, no, no. Let's not okay, I went too far. <laughs> You're right. He's going to be fine. He's going to turn it on. He may turn it on. 20, 26, Matthew Hoppy. Uh, Mallorca played two 1-1 draws, one on, Saturday, on Wednesday against Sevilla and one on Sunday against Cadiz. Hoppy did not feature in either of them. It's frustrating. I would like to have him out there doing some stuff, you know? Get into people's faces. It is a little frustrating that he's not 
eight minutes for Mallorca, but well, 27, DeAndre Yedlin. He played 90 and a two nil win on Sunday against Gaziantep. I think we can imagine how that he did probably perfectly fine. If mm-hmm. at times, you know, he's not maybe moving the ball forward as well as we like. I don't probably not fair to comment on a game. We didn't watch though. He's, I mean, the, the real, the, the main thing is he's absolutely locked down the starting job for Galatasaray, which is no, you know, no small feat. Yeah. 28 Ethan Horvath. Still on the bench. They played a one, one draw on Friday against QPR. 29 Matt Miazga. Uh, Unused sub in a 1-0 win on Tuesday against Elche and an unused sub in a 1-1 draw on Saturday against Barcelona. Seems like he's lost his starting spot at Alaves. I, I, it's, that's too bad for Miazga. He he's sort of is like the definition of a journeyman at this point. 30, Daryl DK. Played 90 in a 3-2 loss on Wednesday against Columbus and 90 in a 1-1 draw on Sunday against Nashville and scored a goal in both games. I know in the midweek game, he, he scored on a penalty and he, he had the first one saved, but the keeper came off the line and he hit it exactly to the same spot again and scored that time. And then there was a controversy last night. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch it. I don't know exactly what happened, but it was a, a refereeing controversy involving a goal. It was called for a foul that was, I think, a ridiculous call on a, like, running out, running in the, into the mouth of goal to try to bundle something home. He didn't get there. He got kind of pulled down. He got called for a foul for pulling down the defender, I believe. And even though Orlando did score on the goal, I think it was Anders Bea who scored. Uh, it was called back on that foul call, which was bad. I, saw the clip on Twitter, that's all. 31, Tim Ream. Played 90 minutes in a 3-0 win on Saturday against West Brom. Yeah, so, the and Jordan, you pointed this out, that the Fulham fans, they, they really like Ream, and they, they scream his name out, or chant his name. And then there was another fan in the stands holding a sign that said, Tim Ream, can I have your shirt? So I'm just, I feel, I'm not sure how to feel about these English people treating one of our players a little bit better than we do, but it's a, a d- different circumstance, obviously. It probably doesn't feel great for Tim to go to log on to have that happen and log on Twitter and have some eighteen-year-old <laughs> talking about how he doesn't deserve to live. You know, <laughs> he's perfectly. He's pretty good. He's like a very successful professional soccer player, and he is a pretty good center back. Going back real quick to DK, I mean, he sure does seem like he's put on his shooting boots lately. You know what I mean? He's yeah. He's got a lot of goals in the last. Two weeks. I think it's like six and eight games. I don't know. I think he probably. Do you think he's going to be in the next camp? I'm not sure who else it would be at this point. Yeah. Right. He's got it. He's probably he's probably going to get it over PFOC because of the MLS bias. You know. Yes. Exactly. All right. Thirty-two. We're gonna get we're gonna get out of here pretty soon. Thirty-two. Reggie Cannon. He played eighteen minutes in a four-one loss. On Saturday against Porto, I watched this and he subbed off uh, with injury. It looked like a calf injury. He had gone down around the 
fourth minute, which was right when I turned it on, uh, tried to tough it out, but then slipped, making a run towards the Porto goal, re-aggravated it and had to come out. So that's, that's unfortunate just as he was getting back into the team. Dispiriting. Very dispiriting. He, he, I mean, for those not keeping close track, he was pretty much frozen out of the Bovista game day rosters until two weeks ago, right? And he's made his comeback and just got injured. Did he look, did he look good before he got injured, Jordan? Sort of. It, it was hard to tell because I turned it on right when he first got that injury. So okay. after, from the like 15 minutes or so, after that, he was kind of walking gingerly, got a little bit better and more involved, and then re-aggravated it and came out. All right, well, another right back uh, who doesn't, hasn't been playing a ton, 33, Shaq Moore. Uh, he, uh, Tenerife, play today against Borges CF, and he did not play a midweek game, so... Nothing really to report on him. 34 in the rankings is Jordan Morris. He is still coming back from uh, ACL injury, but it, the reporting that I saw was earlier in the week is that he's expected to make his season debut uh, today against the Galaxy. Not sure exactly how he fits in, what is going on with the national team right now, but got some kind of role maybe 35 Paul Ariola. he played 45 minutes in a, a one one nil win on Wednesday against Red Bulls and 61 minutes in a 3-1 loss on Saturday against Columbus and scored the on, only goal for DC in the Columbus game it was a really nice goal too yeah it was like, it was a, like a hammer blow with his left foot on the volley half volley I guess and it seems like he's still recovering from the injury that uh, took him out of the Costa Rica game Uh, I'm pretty sure the 61st minute sub was a planned substitution around that time okay 36 George Bellow 90 minutes in a 2-1 win on Wednesday against Inter-Miami and 90 minutes in a 1-1 draw on Saturday against Toronto. 37, Sebastian Legette. 72 minutes in a 2-0 loss on Wednesday away to Sporting Kansas City and then they play away to Seattle today. Uh, Three more names. 38, Jesus Ferreira. 90 minutes in a 2-1 loss on Wednesday against Real Salt Lake, and then 90 minutes in a 2-1 win on Saturday at home to Austin. And he scored Dallas's first goal in that game. Yeah, and he had a secondary assist on the second one, although he didn't have a ton to do with that second goal. He's been he's been dealing for the entire second half of the season, like playing really, really well. He's not the guy you want running in behind, but you do want him on the ball in the middle of the park. I think his outing versus Austin was less spectacular than the one against RSL, but like we just said, he still scored a goal and was involved in the second. What, what do you think his odds of getting called up are? 50%. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. He seems close. Yeah, I think he's, 
well, yeah, who can know the mind of Greg Berhalter? But it's you know, it's weird because Berhalter loved Ferreira as a nine back in you know pre-pandemic days, and it, it, he wasn't playing particularly well at the time, if I remember correctly. And now he's been playing better, but not getting call-ups. Yeah, it's a it's a the time the timing is a little more fraught now. Than it was it's then. always complicated when you have a pandemic in the middle of a of a qualifying campaign. Always is every time. Yeah. Thirty nine, James Sands. Ninety minutes in a one nil win on Wednesday against Chicago, and ninety minutes in a three one win on Saturday away to Inter Miami. And I know I didn't watch either of these games, but Fat Mob said he played right back in a back four both games so that seems to be a new development he's versatile we'll call him versatile number 40 rounding out the top 40 is samuel vines he was an unused sub in a 2-1 loss in the belgian cup on thursday against westerlo a second division team and then he went 90 in a 1-0 win on sunday against circle bruges seems to have gotten himself a spot in the starting lineup there which is good um that's maybe. that. That's go ahead, Walkie. I was saying maybe he can make a charge on that, you know, backup left back spot. Although I have to imagine he's a ways out now. Yeah, I hope it's. I hope Scally gets called in before him. I do. I do feel like um, we all soured on all the players on that Olympic qualifying team. Understandable, you know, they looked bad, but it's a good lesson that you know, player just because a player has a bad tournament under a bad coach doesn't mean they're a bad player. Yes. We also learned that with the U17 World Cup a couple of years ago. Yeah, I was just, yeah, I was just about to say that. <laughs> I think we all really, we learned that lesson really hard, apparently. I think we have four players from that team in the top 40 now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky. It's tricky making player assessments, isn't it? Uh, let me make a couple programming notes. Uh, this podcast is going on the the normal podcast feed. We're not going to do office hours for a while. Uh, this week we're gonna I'm gonna do a U17, U20, maybe U17s, but definitely U20 episode with Matt Hartman, and then Greg and I are gonna do a reaction to the roster later in the week. So um, you know, stay tuned, everybody, and thanks for listening. We'll see ya.